All right, take your Bibles and make your way to Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, or chapter 2, excuse me, beginning in verse 8. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Here's what the Scripture says. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born, notice it, to you this day, in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign of to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I want to talk to you fairly briefly this morning, because this is our Communion Sunday. Um, but I want to talk to you about peace and goodwill. Our theme for this week is peace and our Advent Sunday. And um, when you think of peace and goodwill, we think of that mostly this time of year. But when we look around us, sometimes it can make you wonder. Is there really peace? I, it puts me in mind of one of my favorite Christmas carols. And, and the reason I like this song, and it wasn't a song originally, it was just a poem. It was actually written on Christmas Day in 1864 by a guy that some of you will recognize, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And he wrote a poem called, I, um, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It wasn't until 1872 that a local organist put a tune to it that he wrote, and it became a song that was sung in the 1800s. Are you all familiar with this song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day? Let me give you a little context. Um, Longfellow had just lost his second wife. He just buried his second wife. He was trying to nurse his son back to health, who his son was shot by a Confederate musket in the uh, Civil War. The, the nation was still in the midst of that embroiled Civil War between the North and the South. His wife had just, his second wife had just died. And um, he was a little bit I would not say confused, but have you ever been disillusioned? Have you ever looked around you and said, you know, I know what that book says, but. And I think it was from that that he wrote these words. And, it, and he says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play and wild and sweet. The words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I thought of how the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. So he's hearing the church steeple's bells ring, this tiding of peace on earth and goodwill. Then he says this, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You kind of want to say amen there, don't you? He goes on to say, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Is there really 
peace available on this earth? And if so, to who? And that's all I want to talk to you about this morning from God's Word. A very simple outline, really created for the children in the room because I knew they'd be here. And I appreciate the fact that our children who can read are pretty close to it, stay in this building to hear God's Word. So I, I make the outline for them. But I know that when I don't make the outline, they never complain, but the rest of you do. So maybe I make it for you too, but I put it at their level so we can all understand. So let me just walk through this with a few questions this morning. The first question is this, what is peace? When, it, when the angels make this declaration, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, what do they mean by peace? So we've got to back up just a smidge to catch some context here. And here's the context. Those shepherds were minding their own business. Out there on the hillside in Bethlehem, you know how many nights on end they had done exactly what they were doing that night? Have you ever had a job that was kind of monotonous? I worked security when I was in college, and I stared out a window all night long into a parking lot. That's pretty monotonous. And nothing ever changed. It was always the same thing, night after night after night. And the most exciting thing that probably happened to those shepherds was when a, a wolf or a bear or even a lion came sniffing around some of their flocks and they would have to chase them off. But it was a pretty mundane outdoor life for these men. And as they're out there minding their own business, I want you to make sure we understand the context. One single angel shows up. It starts off with just one. And if you look there in the scriptures, it said, and behold, that word behold means all of a sudden. Now that had to freak those guys out. Could you imagine minding your own business out there on the hillside and all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, this brilliant angel of light shows up. You say, I wonder what he looked like. We're going to get an idea. It says, and behold... An angel of the Lord stood before them. Can you imagine that? All of a sudden, this angel, this being is right in front of you. And it doesn't stop there. It gets worse. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. That, that word glory means, means uh, the light of God's presence. All of a sudden, they're in a dark hillside. All of a sudden, boom, here's all this light. And this angel is standing before them. And, and the next line kind of makes sense, doesn't it? What's the next line say? And they were what? Greatly afraid. In other words, they were scared out of their sandals. As well they should have been. And every time someone in Scripture, in a historical record, sees an angel, they're almost always afraid. And the second thing that happens is they try to worship them. Because angels are massive, incredible they're really, they're warrior beings. They're, 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 they're God's military. They're massive warriors. And, if, and if, that, if that angel popped in here like he did on the hillside in Bethlehem that night, we would have the same reaction as those startled shepherds. We would be terrified. And by the way, I, I hate to ruin Christmas for you, but not really. I, I love to tell the truth. The truth is there are no female angels that we know of in Scripture. All angels are male. And I know that ruins all your pretty decorations. I always tell my mom when I come in and see all, I say, I love all of your unbiblical angels. <laughs> and did you notice that on, on, on Christmas cards and, and in the little ornaments and stuff that we get? Almost never do you see a male angel. And yet the scripture tells us there's only male angels as far as scripture gives us those details. So this massive warrior of light is standing before them and they're petrified as they should be. You would be too. So here they are in this very fearful state. And it seems like when angels show up, they always have the same message. The first thing they say is, don't be afraid. And I feel like there should be a parenthesis here that says, easy for you to say. <laughs> but it's always the same message when an angel shows up. Don't, don't be afraid. And why would you be afraid when you see a warrior 
robed in God's glory. Yeah, because they're warriors, right? And what does a warrior come to do? Destroy, right? And you know you got no hope against a being like this. He says, don't be afraid. Why? I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Why? The Savior has been born to you in the city of David. And here's how you're going to know it. You're going to find this baby wrapped in strips of cloth. That wasn't necessarily unusual. This part was unusual. And lying in a manger. Now, I like some of the other translations here. It literally says lying in a feeding trough. That's what a manger is. It was a little container, usually of just rough-hewn wood thrown together that you would put the hay in for the sheep to eat. It was a feeding trough. Now, that's unusual. Um, now, those shepherds knew every, every place there was a feeding trough in that town at the bottom of that hill because they were shepherds. Those, those, those little caves is what they were. They, they were dug out caves in, in the rock wall surrounding Bethlehem. They knew every single one. So that sign was a good one for the shepherds to figure out which baby they were talking about. So after he gives them this, this single angel, remember, there's only just one right now, but one's enough. Because just seeing the one, they were terrified, greatly afraid. All of a sudden, something happens once he gives this announcement. It says, and suddenly, that's the second time we see that similar word. First it's behold, which means suddenly. And now we have here, it's happening again. It's, it's as if God was testing the hearts of these poor shepherds. How much could they handle? And suddenly, all of a sudden, just like that first one showed up, look at what it says. There was with that angel, look what it says, a multitude. What does that mean? A lot, yeah. A multitude of the heavenly host. Now, that word host uh, in Scripture always means army. So again, these are warrior Beings that are, are, are so incredible that they inspire fear and worship. So all of a sudden, as if they're just now, I could just imagine that they're wondering about this message and they're starting to believe that the angel's not there to destroy them and they're processing it all and they're feeling, their emotions are starting to come down from a 10. They're, about a, they're at about an 8 now and then all of a sudden what? Boom, the whole sky opens up. And there are literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these same warrior beings. And there goes their emotions right back up to 10, would you not think? And, and, and we make this mistake here. I'm a stickler for accuracy. I think we make the mistake here of, of thinking that they sang this. That's not what the scripture says. Follow it with me. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, and then what says next, and doing what? Saying. I, is this just me? I think this was a bold, warrior-like declaration from these tens of thousands of angelic warriors. Have you ever, I, I, I'll, this is such a pitiful example, but um, I got to watch Sam and his high school football team win the state championship a week ago on Friday. And what was so cool is when it was all over, they got together and they put their helmets together. And I couldn't, I don't even know what they, what they said, but you said something on three. Do you remember what that was? Family? And so, so the coach says, family on three, one, two, three. And that all these guys with their helmets in the air in this group, I mean, and they're so full of emotion. Just holler out this one word, family. And I mean, it just goes through the whole stadium. And it, and it does something to you, this chant. I want you to imagine tens of thousands of angelic warriors chanting and shouting this message, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace. Goodwill 
toward men. In a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you where that's a bad translation. Goodwill toward men. That, that's really not a good translation. Actually, what it says, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people God favors is literally what that means. Or to men on whom his favor rests. Beautiful statement. Um, it's important to understand the difference. But anyway, can you imagine these angelic beings and how loud and, 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 and terrifying and amazing could sound could those angels, those warrior beings produce? And they were pretty excited. The Bible says their angels can't wait to look into such things. It bewilders them. But they're sent, all of these warriors sent by God to proclaim the birth of of the Christ, the King, the Messiah. And in one voice, they thunder this out and literally shake the hills surrounding Bethlehem. Glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth. What is that first thing? Peace. And you have to, you have to notice the pairs here. Glory to who? God. And on earth, men. So you have God and men. There's a pair. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on what? Earth. So there's heaven and earth. And you have glory and peace. There's all these connections here, these pairs. So the question is, what is peace? And this is interesting. The word that's used here uh, in the Greek is irene. And let me read to you what it means. It means to join or bind together that which has been separated. Literally, the binding or joining together again of that which is separated or divided and thus setting at one again. A meaning uh, to convey by the common expression of having it all together. It follows that peace is the opposite of division or dissension. Does that word make a little more sense with the biblical definition now? Gl glory to God in the highest and on earth what? Yeah, the reconciliation of man to God, of heaven to earth. Do you see it? Now, now does it not make more sense to you? That Greek word, irene, for peace, was actually, you know where you saw that mostly? At the doctor's office. It was a medical term. It literally meant to set a bone. You have a bone that breaks. Have you, anyone ever broken a bone? Um, I, know, I don't know if Anna's in here. She's here. Oh, she's up in the balcony. Yeah, you, you all know Anna's broken bone story right out here in the parking lot. Um, jumping from the basketball pole to the dumpster we used to have out there. She missed the dumpster, fell, put her arm down, and that bone broke and came right through her skin. And I picked that little girl up with that bone sticking out. Parents should never have to see the bones of their children, let me tell you. That, that, that was traumatizing. Took her to the doctor. I don't know, had several surgeries to put that all back together. But that, that process of resetting a broken bone so that the two pieces become one again, that reconciliation, to where it's strong, it's all good, right? That's what this word peace means. To set at peace God and man, heaven and earth. Um, do we need that peace today? Yes. That's the beauty of this message of peace. Is that man was, a sinful man was separated from a holy God. And that's not because God is mean. That's because God is kind. You hear me? God is kind in separating you from him. Because if he didn't, in our, in our sinful state, to stand before this God would mean immediate and eternal judgment. So there's a separation. Oh, but this little baby, God has sent the Messiah, the King, and a kingdom coming with him. Amen? We talked about that in our D group this morning. He sent this King to put it back together, to reconcile heaven and earth and God and man. Amen? In the form of a little baby. What a strange way. And what a strange plan. 
God had. So that's peace. It's to put back together, to make the two separate one again. Why do we need it, number two? Why do we need it? Here's the reality, and I think we know this in our heart of hearts. We're created for peace. God created us initially to be one with Him, didn't He? Look at Adam and Eve. They had a great relationship with God. They had work in the garden all day, take care of it, and then I love this, and I, I can't wait for the fruition of the kingdom when we get to do this again. In the cool of the evening, God would show up, and they, they would fellowship and talk, talk about the day, talk about the wonders of the creation that God made. They were made for that peace. But we know what happened. Sin enters the picture from our first mother and our first father. And it destroys, it disrupted that peace, didn't it? And by the way, I want to say, sin will always disrupt and destroy peace. It has to. It has to. Just like fire will always burn, sin will always disrupt and, and, and destroy your peace. How many of you know that's true experientially today? Amen? When you sin, peace goes out the window. It just does. <coughs> In order to have peace within and peace without, we have to have peace with God. And that's what God sent this baby, this Messiah. And I want you to understand something here, and it's really important, is that sin has produced a mutual enmity with God. That word enmity means enemy. I'm going to say that again. Sin has produced in us a mutual enmity with God. What's that mean? It means that we are, are because of sin, we are the enemies of God, but it's mutual. Because of sin, hear this, God is our enemy. Now, this is not a popular message today, but we've got to preach the truth, amen? It's mutual. All sinners are against God, and God is against what? All sinners and all sin. James 4.4. 4. In James 4.4, 4, James says, Hey, I think that's a screen there, Sam. The, um, en enmity, or friendship with the world is enmity with God. He said, Don't you realize that? And he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. Don't you even know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself what, church? The enemy of God. And then in Romans 3, 16 and 17, jot this down. You should go home and read the whole thing. This is the God's charge against humanity. And, and he says, and I don't care if you're a Jew or a Gentile, you're both guilty. That was the whole point of this charge. And I'm going to abbreviate it on that next screen there. Um, Next one. Here's what, here's what Paul says in Romans, towards, Romans 3 towards the end. He says, destruction and misery are in their ways. And then notice the next verse, verse 17. And the way of what, church? Peace they have not known. They don't know the way of peace. The path of peace. Because peace is a person. In the form of that baby who is now the seated king, the prince of peace. Who is this peace for, number three? Who is it for? Now this is where I'm going I'm to show you what might be a, a better, not might, it is a better translation. We have in the King James and the New King James, and it's because of the, the text, Textus Receptus, where it comes from, we have, uh, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Here's what it says in a New English translation. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. And believe it or not, even the NIV gets it more accurate than the King James and New King James here. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. It's taking that word. See, but when you say goodwill toward men, it means it, it's kind of sounds like, well, that's men. Uh, that's all men, universal. Everybody has this goodwill. Or, you know, 
uh, and, and it becomes, it's a subject, it's in the nominative. But actually, in, in, the, in the language of the text, it's in the genitive, which literally means that's, that's, the, that's the form of possession. It says, it's not about the men, it's about God. It's, it's, it's peace on earth and, and goodwill to those men on whom God's favor rests. Who is this peace for? It is only for his children. It is an exclusive peace. Thomas Constable says this of the King James translation. He says, it's not a good one and it's misleading. The reader could infer that God will be gracious to people who show goodwill to others, suggesting that human merit is the basis of God's favor. The NIV translation, peace to men on whom his favor rests, is better. Those on whom God bestows his favor are those who experience his peace. And I want to say something right there. If you have not experienced the good news of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of King Jesus, who brought the kingdom with him. Amen? Amen. I loved how Linda reminded us this morning that in a, king, there's a, in a kingdom, there's a king, and then the rest are subjects. We are subject. We come underneath the rule and reign of the king. And the gospel is that the kingdom is here with the king, Christ the Messiah, who lived and died for our sin and was buried on the third day, rose again three days later. And Jesus says that we are to repent, turn away from our sin, and believe, embrace the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in our place, and then follow him for all the days of our life. Amen? There's that follow me part that must be included. That is the gospel that Jesus preached. The kingdom is here. Christ the King sits on the throne of heaven. He's putting all enemies under his footstool right now. Here's my question. Are you one of the enemies that's going under the feet of Jesus? Or are you one who it belongs to him and is helping put all enemies under his feet? You're either helping in that endeavor or you're part of the problem. And the peace of God, listen to me, only comes to the people of God. Only God's people experience God's peace. And it comes through this good news of Jesus Christ. Here's the question, the final question, and maybe the most important is this, how do we get it? How do we get this peace? John Trapp said this, and I, I, I love it, because it was my thought when I was reading this text, just this one little verse. Trapp said this, let God have all the glory so we may have the peace. I love that because that was the connection I made as I looked at it. It says glory to God in the highest. And literally that word in excelsis Deo, uh, literally in the highest of heavens, glory to God, fame, power, majesty, honor, and praise be to this God in the highest of heaven. And listen, when God gets the glory, we get the peace. Amen? It, it, it's, the, it's the first question in the Westminster Catechism. What, that's it. What is the chief end of man? What's the main reason we're here? And the answer is beautiful. It is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To bring glory to God. To put the attention back on God. So don't miss the connection between God's glory and peace. Because, oh, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you a shortcut to being miserable. You say, I came to church to learn how to be miserable? Yeah, because some of you are miserable, and I'm going to tell you why you're miserable. <clears throat> because you're living for you and not for the glory of another. I don't know about you. The most miserable I've been in some chapters of my life is when I got inward focused. And it became all about me. And I live for self and not for the glory of God. When you live for you, misery is not far behind. Amen, church? We live for the glory of God. How do we get this? First of all, we do it by giving glory to God. Think of Peter and Paul in, their, in the openings of their letters to the churches. Somewhere very early in those in those opening introductions, you always find this phrase, 
Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. And I'm going to tell you something. Without grace, there is no peace. And we're getting closer to how is it that we get this peace. Well, I'll tell you. It's in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 and verse 20. Same writer, Paul, says this. And by him to reconcile, that's that word, that, by the way, that's, that's the root word for peace. That erdene, reconcile, don't forget that. And by him, by Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, <clears throat> by him, whether things on earth or things where, church? In heaven. Do you see that? You see the pairs even in this announcement? Heaven and earth? Having made, what's that word? Peace through the blood of his cross. Don't ever look at peace lightly again. Peace is the most expensive element in the world. It costs the blood of the very Son of God. And you must never forget that. How do we get this peace? You get this peace through the blood of Jesus Christ who has paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. That's, that's what it's about. Peace on earth. How can there ever be peace on earth? Hearts have to change. People must submit to the kingship of Jesus. Turn away from their sin and embrace His death, burial, and resurrection in their place. And then learn to follow Him. Learn to follow Him. Expanding His kingdom. Becoming fishers of men. Amen? We learned that this morning. Have you done that? Do you know the peace of God? Because until you have peace with God, you will never have the peace of God. How do why do terrible things happen? Even in church parking lots. Another big group was there Friday night. Another opportunity to share with them the gospel. Good news of Jesus Christ as King. Amen? When Jesus Christ is king, that stuff doesn't happen. When he is king in your heart, you do not break his law. You have his peace. And oh, how we need that today. We need to repent of our sin, put our faith in Jesus, and we must not be fooled. How many of you know you can, you can fake peace? You ever, you ever fooled yourself into peace? You can do it. How long does that last? Don't last long. Don't last forever, that's for sure. The peace that we're talking about, Jesus said, my peace I leave to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. The peace that Jesus gives lasts forever. Amen? Do you have that peace? Do you have peace with God? Because when you do, you'll have the peace of God. This name's probably familiar to you. His name's Alfred Noble. So he, was the, he made a fortune when he invented something called dynamite. And that invention changed the course of warfare forever. And maybe it was because of the horrors that war inflicted with the use of dynamite. He made a provision in his will, very wealthy man, for a prize to be given annually to those who work to promote peace. Today it's called the Nobel Peace Prize. But God's expression of peace to the world was his son. And when Jesus was born, the angel's clear, unmistakable message to the shepherds was peace on earth toward men on whom God's favor rests. We are the peace brokers. Because when we have peace with God, we have the peace of God, and I can extend that to you now.
I now have something to offer, and so do you. Peace in our hearts, peace in our homes, peace on our streets, peace in our neighborhoods, peace in our city, peace in our state, our country, and our world. I've been shocked, and, and not a little disappointed, but it's understandable, with the response that people have had to this sinful act that took place here in the church parking lot. We all want to do something. A terrible thing, and we want to fix it, don't we? Do you, do, do, don't you want to fix that? I was working here yesterday and I had to leave for a little bit and Sam said, my friend's coming, my friend's dad is dropping him off. We're going to play basketball in the parking lot. And I knew I wasn't going to be here for a couple hours. Dale's shaking his head, right? You and I are thinking alike, right? And I said, I'll tell you what, Sam, why don't you just bring the basketball goal in the gym and you guys play inside? And he had about 3,000 reasons why that was a bad idea. And so, you know what? I said, fine. You keep your head about you. Don't be foolish. But we cannot let fear rule the day. Sam and his buddy played basketball out there until dark. Because fear is not going to win over peace. And this is... God's place, God's parking lot, God's people. And if it's his time to go, it's his time to go. No, I don't want him to go like that. And I'm not going to lie to you. I was not letting fear rule me, but it was sure knocking on the door of my heart as I was out doing some errands. I was nervous. But oh, when you have peace with God, you get the peace of God. I don't know who wrote it, and I close with this, and then I want to ask you a question before we take up communion. Someone wrote this little song, and it's a beautiful little tune, but I love the message. It says, let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with who? Me. Let there be peace on earth, the peace that was meant to be. There's going to be peace on earth. There's going to be a solution to what happens the evil and the dark of this world. It's just that the light needs to shine. I think, I think light still overcomes darkness. Do y'all think so? And the only reason, hear me, the only reason darkness is winning, listen to me, is because there is no light. I remember being down in the bowels of the earth with my son Paul on a high school trip I took him on down at the bottom of something called Spider Cave. And in that dark, we found out why it was called Spider Cave. Not cool. We got down at the bottom of that thing, and our little guide lady said, I want everyone to turn your lanterns off, because we had these helmets with lanterns, lights on them. She said, everybody turn them off. Have you ever been in darkness you could feel? I mean, I'm, I put my hand right here. I could sense my hand, but I could, life of me, I could not see it was the darkest darkness I've ever not seen. And here's the reality. It hit me as I'm sitting there. Darkness isn't a thing. It's the absence of a thing. Darkness is what you're left with when all light is extinguished. Because in the bowels of the earth, sitting in the darkest darkness I've never seen, that little lady struck a match. And you'd have thought the sun came up. I mean, it hurts your eyes. We sat in there for probably about five minutes and just no one even talked. It was kind of neat. But when she struck that match, I mean, it hurt your The darkness vanished because darkness can't overcome light and if there is darkness unrest and a lack of peace 
because there's no light. I think Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Peace is not passive. It's meant to confront and overcome darkness. And may we embrace that truth. May we, instead of shouting at the darkness, how about we turn on the light and watch the darkness flee? That's what Jesus came to do. He wants us to be a part of that. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to set up our communion here, explain how we do that. You do not have to partake, and I'll explain who should and who should not. And then we're going to take communion together, and then... I invite you to stay for our fellowship meal lunch next door. Father, we thank you for this peace that those your warriors announced that night on that hillside in Bethlehem to the most unlikely of people, the shepherds. The shepherds who were so vital in your people's worship of you, and yet they themselves were excluded. They weren't allowed in. <laughs> they were the bottom rung of the social ladder. And yet you chose to go to them first. And through that angel, you reminded us that you came to bring peace to those upon whom your favor, your grace rests, grace and peace. And we know, Lord, that your grace only rests on those who have repented of their sin, turned away from it, have been granted a holy disgust for everything that is offensive to you, and put in them a new heart with the ability to believe, to trust in the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ in their behalf. And who have been granted the gift of the Holy Spirit to follow you, follow hard after you, and to teach others to do the same. We pray that this peace would be used as a weapon to battle the darkness in our own lives and in our community this week. And that even as we take these elements, we'll be reminded of the cost of peace. Peace is never free. We thank you that Jesus paid the price so that we could be free and enjoy this peace and use it as a weapon to battle the dark. May you be glorified May you get the glory, the honor, the praise, and all the attention because you deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen. I think Courtney's going to come. They're going to sing a song, a beautiful song. Um, and as we, in a moment, come to take these elements, here's what I'll have you to do uh, just to set this up. If you are uh, someone who has, has done that, has repented of your sin, put your faith in Jesus Christ as your king and are following him, been baptized and are following him, we invite you to join us as part of the body of Christ. If that's not you, then just stay where you are and that's fine. I'd like to talk to you about that. If you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal king and if his peace is not permeating your life, I like, I'd like to talk to you and answer your questions about how that can become a reality in your life. But just wait. Watch what other people are doing and know that you can be involved in this once you have bowed your knee to Christ as your king. And what a joyful thing. That's why it's important for kids to watch and not partake until they have bowed the knee to Christ are following hard after him.
Um, I will ask you to hold your elements and we'll all take it together here in just a minute. So we're going to start in the very back of the building on side with Pastor Jay. And uh, as Courtney sings, I'm going to invite Pastor Jay to come and your row. And then we'll just come up and then down. And when everybody has their elements, um, I will lead us in taking them together. Father, would you open our hearts to receive your peace, to thank you for your peace, to walk out your peace, and to use it as a weapon against the division of this world. Thank you that you have called us to be your children. May we take what we're about to do very seriously. And may it remind us of the price that was paid for our peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks in that back row may come.
Bible says that Jesus took the bread and broke it, passed it to his disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Peter would explain this more in depth when he would write that Jesus bore our sin in his body on that tree. We take this bread and we remember the body of Christ that was given to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from sinner to saint, to even want to follow him and even embrace that peace and desire it. All of that ours through the body of Christ. May we eat and remember. There are actually four cups in a typical Jewish Passover. This one just so happened, I'm sure coincidence, was the third cup. It's a cup of redemption. How God bought back his children from the slavery of Egypt, which is always a picture of the world. How many of you know before Christ died, was buried and resurrected in our place, we were slaves to sin? Some of you still are. Don't have to be. That offer of salvation is to you today. But all the blood of Christ that was shed is the purchase price to buy us back the slave market of sin. What a precious price that was. May we drink and remember. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm going to sing our hymn of the month. Then the doxology. I'm going to pray now that God would bless our food to follow. You stay and enjoy a meal with us today. Father, we love you today. We thank you. Thank you that the only thing we brought to you was a sin that made our salvation necessary. You brought the rest through your only Son. May we glory in Him today. And may you receive the praise and the honor and the fame for what you have done. And may we use that peace as a weapon come darkness and division. And may you be glorified all the more in Jesus' name. Amen.